The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hi, this is Ashley Eckstein, the voice of Ahsoka Tano from Star Wars, and you're listening to the Secrets of Star Wars podcast. May the Force be with you. You're listening to the Secrets of Star Wars, episode 161. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a deity. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember... The Force will be with you, always. Hi everyone, I'm Angela Cialana, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away, from movies to books to TV shows and more. We are looking at the deeper themes and meanings, and hidden gems found in Star Wars, and we will have fun doing it. Uh, This week we are diving into The Bad Batch Season 2, Episode 13, entitled Pabu. Joining us on this remote island getaway is the artist herself, Catherine Laffrey. Hello, Catherine. Aloha. (laughs) (laughs) Also joining us is Josh Beagley, who shall henceforth be known as the Padawan. Hello there, Josh. (laughs) Hello, hello. Yes, uh, we are christening all of our panelists uh, with their (laughs) podcast names. And Josh was like, how about the Padawan? Very good choice. (laughs) (laughs) So this episode of The Bad Batch is summed up on StarWars.com as the team takes refuge and finds new allies. As previously mentioned, for everyone watching The Bad Batch alongside the podcast, we appreciate you and we have decided to refrain from spoiler talk because, of course, the season in real time has already finished But I'm still curious, Catherine and Josh, have you finished watching season two? Are you still following? Are you following along with with the podcast as we're recording? Uh, What's your status? I have already finished it it probably a third time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so we are going to pump the brakes a little bit (laughs) as we talk about (laughs) things here today. But it will still be really fun, I know, because... I realized getting ready for this show that I missed so many details and hidden gems all along the way. So I'm really excited to dive into this episode today. Before we move on, we would like to take a brief moment to recognize and thank our allies, the people who make this podcast possible, our patrons, including Helen G, David H, Sarah M, Margaret B, and Michael M. If you want to help StarQuest continue our mission, please consider becoming a patron like these trusted allies. Just go to sqpn.com slash give. Thank you so much. Now, this episode of The Bad Batch was a surprise compared to last week's episode. So what were your overall first impressions, Uh, Catherine? Let's start with you. Well, the first time I watched this, everything was so beautiful and so perfect that I was like, when is something bad going to happen? <laughs> totally threw me off. I kept waiting for what's going to happen. When's the umpire going to show up? 
The second time I watched it, though, I watched it immediately following the episode with Crosshair. Totally changed my viewpoint on it. And I'll get into that later. Oh, man, that's that's a great uh, little <laughs> a teaser there. So, Josh, what about you? I, I thought it was a very relaxed episode. I I mean, like. Just the idea of the island itself was like, I didn't even remember like the very initial scene. It was just as soon as I got to the island, I'm like, they're just hanging out, having this huge feast. It's a nice little getaway vacation episode. Yeah. (laughs) It was definitely a tonal whiplash, I would say, from the previous week. Uh, But it was fun and it got my imagination wondering about the different possible storylines for the Bad Batch, even beyond season two now looking back. So that's kind of where I'll leave that there. But (laughs) uh, totally uh, a good time. And actually, like I said, a lot of cool little things that we'll discuss here. Well, let's get into it. All right. So um, we start off inside a club or a cantina and we briefly see Arabesh lettering, which says the name of the establishment is Club Lauche. So, have you all seen Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, you might remember that Indy in that movie meets a gangster named Lauche at a club about an ancient artifact. And <laughs> there are some tie ins as well, but the name of the club. In the movie is Club Obi-Wan. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So this is like a cool Star Wars reciprocal gesture in honor of that movie. (laughs) Um, So it might have been a while for y'all before you, you know, or since you've seen it. But do you remember anything else about the movie that reminds you of this episode? I mean, at the time when I'm watching it, I did not. I didn't pick any of this up until you had mentioned it. And then I started watching other people talk about it. And it's like, that's why it all felt so familiar. It's really just one of those weird experiences. Uh, My mind was more so drawn to like a Han Solo cantina scene rather than the Indiana Jones part. Because it's just like you see two gangsters sitting at the table. You think of that for Star Wars instead of Indiana Jones. Right. Yeah, well, I will say I went back and I watched the Temple of Doom because I was like, hold on a second. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, And in that movie, Indy is given poison, a poison drink, and he drinks it. And then one of the people in the club, the waiters, he ends up being Indy's friend. So both of those are tie-ins to that scene where, you know, Fee has the poison drink but she doesn't drink it and the batch is there to back her up so um everything goes wrong for indy but everything seems to go right for fee and the batch they're a bit more careful than he was so um we also uh see in this scene that fee and omega are working together and omega's kind of the intern (laughs) And she's, uh, well, they're both meeting with this new character, Lance Crowder, over the liberation of an ancient artifact, as he likes to say. Um, And he seems to have discovered this. Uh, He, like I said, first tries to poison her, but then he 
secretly releases this very familiar worm-like creature from Star Wars. <laughs> so mm-hmm. did you guys recognize this creature? No, oh, yes. <laughs> Gave me the same creeps, too. Yeah, almost, almost <laughs> instantly. Yeah, so uh, fill in the blanks there for folks who might be like, oh, what is what? what are they talking about? Yeah, so seeing uh, the same little killer stingray worm. <laughs> right. That, uh, yeah, they tried using against uh, Padme. That was yeah. just, oh. And still those little skittery legs. Oh, it makes me think about the centipedes I find in the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you definitely don't want one of these around. Um, so Hunter is close by and he has his heightened senses to save and she's not even phased by it so good for her she is experienced in all of this and the aftermath uh the chaos in the club is really fun to see uh did you guys notice anything else or any other insights you gained from seeing all of this take place in this club here Meg is a much better shot now i mean the way she goes over the table takes her shot it was just like no hesitation you definitely see a lot of that, I, I guess I'd say like a physical growth for her of being able to like hold her bow and be able to charge it up and her combat skills have improved a lot. And like you, you start to see this development of each character more, I think, throughout this episode. This is her time to shine. Yeah, I loved seeing Wrecker stand up. Just that classic, yeah. like gets taller and taller and taller. <laughs> and then he cracks his neck. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that was fun. And meanwhile, in the getaway van or the getaway ship, we have Gonky making fun of Tech for playing a game <laughs> against himself. Because <laughs> um, apparently that's the only way that Tech can feel challenged. <laughs> um, and so it was a really fun mission. And as we ride out into hyperspace, V remarks that, well, Omega spends all her time with soldiers and she needs friends her age, doesn't she? And the Batch is sort of like, what are you talking about? <laughs> We've never thought of that before. So we happen to be recording this podcast on Mother's Day. And I'm wondering, what are y'all's thoughts about Fee overall as sort of a mother figure as we've discussed in previous episodes. And do you think that having Fee around will make Omega different from other clones? Uh, obviously, she's different already, but I guess in her her upbringing, her mannerisms, her attitudes, what do you think? Yeah, Fee definitely brings out Omega's curiosity and adventure in a better way than Omega's used it in the past where she always seems to get in trouble with fee around. She gets a little guidance to that adventure. So it's kind of fun to see that I'd say almost more big sister role than, than mother, but at the same time, definitely, and definitely a teacher. I suppose this is uh Omega's Padawan moment. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Cause like as people, we sort of take different traits from everyone that we get to be around. You know, like you have one friend who likes something, so then you start following that or things like that. And, you know, seeing Omega then only around store, like clone troopers and specifically her group, she would only ever get that experience. And then her needing to branch out with people like her would be 
better for her because then she gets those more experiences and can become her own person instead of just sort of becoming that soldier that's just kind of what she's always known. And so, like, we'll probably see then her go out, explore, and see her develop into what she wants to be. Yeah, and now, right after this happens, which is, I think, very interesting, we have sort of a a foil character to Fee. We have Sid. The Batch receives a transmitted message from Sid. And in this message, her voice eerily becomes distorted in certain places as she's threatening them to come back to work for her. And it's interesting that, you know, in the beginning, we may have perceived Sid as a bit of a mother character or sort of the big sister, as you were saying, Catherine, in a different way, in maybe more of a, um, I don't know, <laughs> A harsh, the cranky a old way. aunt. <laughs> yeah, maybe that aunt figure. <laughs> but now we're seeing her true colors, right? And it reminds me of a video that I saw online this week where someone was asking the question, who are you when things go south? Not when you, what you get what you want, uh, but when you don't get what you want, who are you? And I think we're seeing that with Sid, that she's finally not getting what she wants. And as Fia will say later, she is a good ally, but she's not someone you want to cross. So what do you all think about this? I mean, are you sad to see Sid become a villain? Did you see this coming? I mean, you kind of have to see it coming with it being the black market mercenary group. You know, it's almost like your boss will always do whatever they want for money. And as soon as something better kind of comes, they're going to turn on it. It's just kind of a matter of when, because it was like, it's kind of been hinted at throughout, you know, like the pod, the pod race episode that happened and a couple before that, like she'll cross you, watch out. And it's just kind of like, when's it going to happen? Yeah, I was disappointed it happened. If you know, if you listen to what I said earlier on, I had high hopes for Sid and the Bad Batch, or at least Omega, fixing her issues. But I guess once a Trandoshan, always a Trandoshan. <laughs> <laughs> she wants her money, so I don't think I don't think she had her big payout that she wanted out of the Batch. Isn't it sad? Yeah, but it's the reality. So he offers the crew. A place of refuge, and we come to Pabu, a remote island city on a water planet where apparently refugees have created this idyllic society. And I have to ask, did any of you recognize the name Pabu? I did not. I did not. So as um, other fans of animation might know... There is a series called Avatar Legend of Korra, which is a spinoff of the original series, Avatar The Last Airbender. You've probably heard of that before. Well, in Legend of Korra, there is a character named Pabu, who is uh, the last avatar to exist. And he's this little Firefox animal creature. And he's actually voiced by Dee Bradley Baker, who is the voice of the clones. 
So that's a little tie in there. And of course, um, for the air, air, airbender, the last airbender series, that was actually the show that George Lucas watched and he recognized Dave Filoni's talents and wanted Dave Filoni to come work for him. So uh, there's kind of another tie in there with the Avatar series overall. So uh, by the way, we are recording this on George Lucas's birthday. So happy birthday to happy birthday, <laughs> George Lucas himself, <laughs> the maker. So the maker. <laughs> Yes. Thanks, the well, maker. Very good, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> well, so here we are with Pabu. That's that's the tie in there. Really cool. And I have heard or I understand that Pabu himself is a hungry, independent little creature who has also survived a brush with death. So uh, has something in common with some of the Bad Batch characters there. So as we step out of the ship onto Pabu, Fee shows the Bad Batch a large structure called the Archeum, where she brings all the cultural artifacts that she has liberated. <laughs> and as we come to see, uh, Pabu is a place where refugees from many endangered societies or perhaps extinct societies have found sanctuary. So Fee was actually telling the truth about being a liberator of ancient wonders. <laughs> so were you sort of surprised to discover this? Because I, I was, I was slightly surprised that Fee was telling the truth the whole entire time. <laughs> yeah. You almost expect her to be more of a pirate, but the way she kept saying her, you know, her catch line, you know, being a liberator of these ancient wonders and stuff, it was just like, she believes her own lie? I don't know. It's just kind of how it <laughs> sounded to me. But uh, just seeing the place and then the fact that the artifact that they had just rescued looked like the tree in the courtyard, like some little kid had made it. And I was like, did she just rescue someone's school project? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very cute. I think I was more so surprised as to how well off the island looked. You know, it's like whenever you think of like a refugee place, you don't always think of it as being the best. And then here they are, like looking like they're thriving on the island, which was like, oh, and I didn't really see that one coming. Yeah, that's probably because most refugee places that we're used to are set up by people who are not the refugees, <laughs> right? <laughs> that are um, don't really have an interest in totally and completely helping them, right? So. That's another story, but um, yeah. Uh, since, <laughs> since we're coming from, you know, the perspective of our, our Catholic faith, I think it's cool to note some news that sort of ties into this uh, discovery about fee, which is that the Vatican Museum has been returning its artifacts to the various uh, cultures. So most recently in December, Pope Francis initiated the return of uh, to Greece of some decorative marbles that once adorned the Parthenon. And last month, he expressed the importance of returning artifacts to various indigenous tribes of Canada. And he referenced the seventh commandment, thou shalt not steal. Makes sense. And he said, in the case where you can return things, where it's necessary to make a gesture, it's better to do it. Sometimes you can't, if there are no possibilities, political 
real or concrete possibilities. But in the cases where you can restitute, please do it. So that was uh, the words of Pope Francis. So um, especially, you know, Catherine, as you are an artist, I think maybe this might be of interest to you. I don't know. What do you think? It is very much of interest to me. Um, there's a lot of times throughout human history where, unfortunately, it seems like a lot of wars devastate the architecture, art, and designs and cultures that they come in contact with. And, you know, especially it still happens today where you'll hear of... um especially sadly in some areas in the Middle East where they'll come in and destroy ancient buildings to try to eliminate the images that are there because those images are significant. I'm always happy when I hear of, you know, the incredible images that do survive some of these bombings and things or statues of Mary will survive intact or tabernacles survive intact you know, just to show the the power of that beauty that cannot be broken. Um, I guess one thing for me that's important to think about then is you wonder if other museums around the world would be willing to give back the Catholic artifacts that have been taken out of churches. I would love to see the Ghent altarpiece back as an altarpiece. It's just things like that that you just kind of stop and think about and they're best used where what they were designed for. Yeah, very true. Um, so we have a real world tie-in. And especially because tech shares this analysis that, well, most of Fee's discoveries have little to no monetary value. But Fee takes an opportunity to talk about how important it is to preserve the cultural heritages of the people. So I, I think that's really neat that we sort of had that moment to recognize the importance of art and um, and the cultural uh, differences and, and the beauty that all the different cultures bring. So Fee says that um, they are refugees. And so now we, we have to realize that the Bad Batch are refugees. Um, and I was wondering if you all had a perspective on this. Had you thought about that before? Uh, does that change your perspective about the Bad Batch, seeing them as refugees or do you think that they're perhaps in a different category um what do you think josh i don't i still see them as the mercenaries like even whenever they went to the island my first impression was like all right they're visiting they still don't fully know their place in the world and you know they're just sort of here temporarily i didn't see this as a long-term thing yet and you know that sort of became a dilemma throughout the episode of you know, is this really what's best for us and for the group? And, you know, it's it's more so, I don't see them as refugees, more so as them trying to find their place in the world and doing whatever they can to sort of find that. You know, it takes time to figure out what you want. Catherine, what about you? Yeah, they do seem to be almost walking a middle line there. They're refugees and at the same time like Josh said they're trying to find who they really are now their their purposes that they were created for is gone but now they're trying to figure out how how do we survive 
in this situation, you know, and you always get the classic, you know, lone gunman story of they never can settle down. And you feel that throughout this where it's like, you know, they want to, but can they? And it's like, it kind of comes rumbling up in this episode of can they ever settle down? Yeah. I think they, they have never seen themselves as refugees. Well, perhaps they had a moment or two earlier in the season. But I do think that this situation of being amongst other refugees gives them pause to consider where their life is right now and what the direction of their life is and realizing that they are sort of at a dead end in a way that they've hit a wall and that they need that fresh slate that is offered to them on Pabu. And that fresh slate is offered by the mayor of Pabu. So we meet him, Shep Hazard is his name, and he greets Fee with a hug and Wrecker elbows tech telling him that it looks like he's got some competition (laughs) over (laughs) Fee. Um, So obviously we have been seeing some flirting, I would say, (laughs) between tech and um, and Fee. So uh, those of you who might be new to the podcast may not know this, <laughs> but Catherine has before pitched a Hallmark movie. <laughs> so, so I would like to know um, if you could make a Hallmark movie featuring Tech and Fee, what would what would your pitch be? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, this is a fun one for me. Um, my husband is a tech in a sense. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, there's always the challenge of how to how to uh, attract the man who's caught in the, his, his techie world. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, I, I, I had to laugh throughout all of this, watching all of Fee's attempts to get tech to look away from the screen. And it was so satisfying for me to actually see tech have a real smile and a look. And it's like, oh, she broke the ice. <laughs> So, yes, very cute. It's nice they met on Fantasy Island, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, Josh, yeah. we're not we're not just seeing things, right? Like, you picked up on that, too, right? You could definitely see, you know, like, her trying to make moves with him, but he's just too dumb to realize it. And, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm even called out for that one for being too dumb like that because I'm very much a... Uh, smart person and my girlfriend would be like you don't really pick up on things so <laughs> I, I can yeah, relate to tech in focused. that sense <laughs> I'm focused on you know a task and they just go over my head <laughs> <laughs> yeah well you know I think I think he you could make a case that tech indeed was aware of what was going on, or at least he he came to a certain type of awareness, perhaps. He Although he may not have understood <laughs> completely. <laughs> so, um, but, I, you know, I think, so I don't want to miss this cool little point here. The mayor's name, Shep Hazard, reminds me of like a shepherd in times of danger, right? So I thought that was kind of neat for an island of people who were, Seeking refuge from danger. Pretty cool. Mm -hmm. 
And we also meet his daughter, Liana. I was curious about the meaning of that name as well. So that name has several different meanings depending on what language we're talking about. So in Greek, it has to do with the sun. In Urdu, it has to do with eye of the light. It means eye of the light. And in Hebrew, it means my God has answered. All beautiful, right, in the context of this character. And I think she sort of represents the opportunities that are available to the batch, sort of a light in the difficulties that they've been facing, especially Omega. She really seems to start to understand many things in this episode. And we spend some time noticing the beauty and the safety of Pabu. There is that wonderful feast that you mentioned, Josh. And there's a lot to talk about in just the time that was taken to establish the beauty, the tranquility, the sanctuary that is Pabu. So I'd love to hear about things that you noticed, things that you appreciated, things you were thinking about as we experience this time of peace and contentment for the Bad Batch. So uh, Josh, we'll start with you. What were some things that sort of, um, you know, you enjoyed, or I don't know if that feast was part of the things that you really kind of took away from this time. It just reminded me of like, you know, one of those like hillside cities in Italy that you always imagine of where like, you know, everyone's always outside walking and, you know, you can go get a nice big meal and be filled up on your stomach. And just like, this idea where, like, you don't really need to worry about things and you can just go out and enjoy a nice view of the water kind of thing. And, like, it's it's sort of meant to be a... That's just kind of what around me of this, like, ideal vacation place. Because, you know, like, I'd love to go to Italy and see that, but I, I can't. So it was kind of <laughs> like... <laughs> um, it, it just brought the idea of, like, an ideal vacation kind of thing. Catherine? Oh, just get me near water. I This is fitting for me because this is when we're getting our boat ready for the season. And ever since I was young, I have just been in, in love with the water. Living in Michigan, you're never more than two miles away from some body of water, whether it's a river or a lake or the big lakes. And so for me, I mean, the scene of Omega sitting on the boat and just inhaling, eyes closed, deep breath, that has been me all my life. As soon as I get on a boat, it's the first thing I do. My husband actually started laughing when we were watching because he's like, that's so you. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it is. So I was Omega's age, like 13-ish, when I would always go over to a friend's house. She lived on a lake across the street from me, and we would take out the sailboat and just, that's what we did all summer long, on the water. So this was like great memories of... Yeah, that's where a 13-year-old girl should just be a kid and experience life. And that's a really neat thing, too, is where water and land meet is where you have life. And I loved that about this whole island. It was alive. It had the crazy little uh, green monkeys. What were those called? Moon something? Moonios. <laughs> yes, they were absolutely adorable all over the place. Another Indiana Jones call out there. Thankfully, yeah, there Temple were no poison dates. 
Yeah. <laughs> they ate uh, monkey brains in that movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I meant the other, the other monkey, not the dead oh. monkeys. <laughs> the live one. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just that whole feeling of life, especially after what we just went through with Cross here in the show before. So it felt like we went from frozen hell to garden paradise. And so you really started, it made me feel more for what Crosshair just went through after seeing that if he would have been with his family, life could have been so different. So true. Uh, By the way, those monkey creatures, the Munoz, they're actually named after a writer um, at Lucasfilm. Her name is Amanda Rose Munoz. (laughs) So they just took her Mm -hmm. last name and made it into Munoz. Um, by the way, yeah, she's worked on, I just looked this up, Clone Wars, Rebels, Tales of the Jedi, Star Wars Resistance, as well as The Bad Batch. So shout out to you, Amanda Rose Munoz. <laughs> Great job. Um, I wonder yeah, if she's I just agree. as hyper and active as the oh. monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> Probably. Uh, so I agree <laughs> with your assessment about the where land and water meet. Um, I thought it was, um, yeah, just one of the things that I think was very intentional for us to take away was the neighborly and familial vibe make us feel really safe there. They had this character, Mr. Inta, who was this elderly man, really sweet elderly man, you know, that was walking around and greeted the mayor and sort of gave us this vibe of, Oh, this is a really nice, safe place to live. And I happened to see on Star Wars databank that Mr. Inta, as well as the gangster from the opening scene, were both voiced by Steve Bloom, who voices Zeb in Star Wars Rebels. So nice. Pretty cool. Great voice actors in all of Star Wars. Oh my gosh, totally. And another thing that... I happened to learn was that the if you go back and you look at the clothing of the citizens on Pabu, the artists on the show decided to add wave shapes and symbols on their clothing to make that visual connection with the ocean. So a reason to go back and and watch and scroll through there. I even felt like the clothing on... um... The guys looked softer. And, uh, for some reason, just everything about them just looked softer. It was really nice. That may be. Yeah. And, of course, we have that feast where we have a momentous occasion, apparently. <laughs> Wrecker is full. He's never <laughs> full. <laughs> so, I, I, I think tech has... One of the best one-liners for this part of the season, at least, <laughs> at that moment, where Wrecker declares that he's full and Tech pulls out his data, pa- data pad and says, I will note the date and time to commemorate such a momentous occasion. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Oh, his first real joke. <laughs> so Shep takes this opportunity to tell Hunter that this would be a really good place to raise a child. <laughs> so he's he's recognizing Hunter's role as a father, I think. 
there is a um, opportunity that we have here now to sort of stop and appreciate how we've seen Hunter's role as a father evolve over the last two seasons. So um, Catherine, as a mother, uh, I think you could probably, you know, pitch in a couple of words or two about how how good of a a father Hunter has has or has not become. (laughs) I do like that he's always thinking, you know, he's trying to do the right thing. Um, Not just for Omega, but for his whole team. Because he knows that it's not just Omega he has to look out for. Um, I like that he recognized even early on in this episode how, yes, her skills have advanced. She can handle more mature things. But he also realizes enough that she needs to have fun. And it was wonderful to see him tell her, you know, go have fun. I was like trying to remember, has he ever really said that before? I mean, I know she played with kids the first season, but I think he was still really apprehensive where this time it was like, yeah, go have fun. You know, she's never been on a boat before. Go. <laughs> that was really, I think he's, you know, yeah, he's, he, he can get the uh, father of the year award there. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, what do you think? Do you think Hunter um, has grown in his role as a father? Partially, yes. I mean, I see it in the sense, sort of like how Catherine said, where he's become more aware of, like, she needs to do those kid things and letting her go out with, you know, just another kid at this safe island. Versus where, like, in season one, where he was very unsure of letting her do anything and sort of scared to let her be a kid because that's when you're, you know, like most vulnerable of letting your guard down. And yeah, I think that's actually really interesting because it's like, um, kids are people who always have their guards down and, you know, Hunter's been a soldier and you can't do that there at all. And so it's kind of him also having to learn to relax and have this vacation island time and let his own sort of senses drop for a little bit. Oh, yeah. I just think about my own dad on vacations where he was (laughs) unwilling to, (laughs) I won't say unwilling, but he definitely let his guard down a lot more (laughs) than than we were at home. So, uh, yeah, it was good to see Hunter this way. And he has matured. He has seen that Omega can become perhaps something greater than the batch will ever be because she, she is very different from them. I think he realizes that she has a lot, a lot of potential to become someone that will realistically outlive them, right? Because of the whole aging thing, but also become someone who perhaps could be an amalgamation of all of their skills because we've seen all of them father her in a way or, you know, become those big brothers. So I find it really fascinating to, to think about uh, Omega and, and Hunter in terms of what Omega could be. Right. So Liana and Omega go out on the water they enjoy the sunset and we see Omega starting to reflect on her life when she's enjoying the breeze and the waves, as you mentioned, Catherine. And she was 
realizing that she used to be surrounded by ocean at her her first home, but it never felt like Pabu feels. And Liana starts asking her, well, wow, sounds like your your way of life from jumping one place to another gets lonely. Isn't that true? And, and Omega realizes that she's never really thought about that before. So we have this moment where Omega is pausing to think about her life, their life as a team, and how it really is kind of sad in a way, in a way that she has, hasn't thought about before, it seems like. So I was trying to figure out why did the writers insert this moment right here, right before we get the scary stuff, right? <laughs> when we're at this sort of peaceful, calm moment. I was wondering if you all had any insight on that or reflections on, you know, why we got this moment with Omega. It's interesting that she has to, you know, has the time to stop and compare. She's had a few moments of comparison at different points in time in the season of what life would be like if she was, you know, on the farm, like in the first season or here on the island. Um, but at the same time, she has always had a strong attachment to her brothers. And she was the first one to call them out. You are my brothers, you know, especially since she was there to help them be creative in a sense. So um, I think she's just kind of coming to, you know, grab onto, you know, who am I? How do I fit into all of this? And then to have it happen right before she's in another dangerous situation, I think just helps her to see that what she's learned from them is so much part of her as much as she is a kid who wants to just play and have fun. I think it very much touches on her level of maturity for how young she is. You know, being able to have that moment to just sort of self-reflect and sort of see where you're at and where you want to be is something I think we all would love to do every single night of just sort of taking in sort of what's happened and just sort of appreciate it for what it is. And it's definitely a level of maturity that you don't see in a lot of people, but um Omega is sort of able to do it and it helps her grow. I think you bring up a really good point, Josh, that a lot of us may actually avoid those moments, those quiet moments in our lives because we don't want to pause and think about our life and those sort of sad realities that like the ones that Omega is, is thinking about and they are really important, though, as you say, it it, re, it helps us to mature. It helps us to get a sense of where our life is. And I definitely admit that I am one to just throw on my headphones and listen to something while I'm doing name, name the task here, you know, washing dishes, whatever it is. And those might be opportunities to pause and think. And for us as Catholics to have meditative practices like the rosary, the Divine Mercy Chaplet or other like prayer opportunities where we can have those moments to pause and it forces us to have the quietness and the stillness, that 
is so important for us to mature and grow and develop and see ourselves and understand things about life that require that time. Like an evening examination of conscience. Very important to stop and think through the day. And it's very much a lot more difficult in like our world today with technology and everything and sort of seeing on Omega's Island where there's essentially none of that and it's sort of at its simplest just a society you know just living in harmony and you're able to do that then because there's no sort of outside distractions or worries or fears yeah and it's like the bad batch are always running from something as we've talked about they they're always just sort of hand to mouth up to this point where they have to just think about surviving and now they're finally at a point where they don't have to think about that. They've got everything that they need. And that's when people can really start to make those deeper personal choices and and realizations. And so that's partially why the church is committed to feeding people, right? Jesus in the scriptures fed people as he was teaching them because I think Jesus realized if people are hungry, they're not going to listen to what you have to say about the spiritual life. They just want to eat. They're just looking for the next meal. So for us as a society to really be able to move forward, we have to be able to have those basics right in place before we can all sort of take the next step together so that's that's one of the, I guess, missing pieces that some people may not realize um, the connection between the spiritual life and maybe social justice issues is is that's why, you know, we, we have to there there are two two sides of the same coin, right? Just taking care of all of our our human needs. So we have fee and tech here also. Um, I just want to say, um, having a moment at sunset. <laughs> uh, but no, things cannot. That would be one way to quantify perfect. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's like, not bad. What did she say? I forgot. She's is a pretty fantastic or something like that. So, unfortunately, we can't stay in that moment. We have to, of course, have the bad things happening. Hunter gets up because he feels something. His spidey senses are tingling and the Munoz starts scurrying away and we see a tremor signal that there is something coming, a sea surge, and um, it gets worse. So, Josh, you mentioned before we started recording that you saw this sea surge on Pabu as sort of an indication of the Bad Batch's reality that... Things cannot just stay perfect and tranquil. So I don't know if you could expand on that for us, what, what your thoughts are on the meaning of this sea search. Yeah, so like, I don't know, in an ideal world, you can never have everything stay perfect. There's always going to be something that comes in and messes things up. That's just life. We all know it. It's not the most fun thing, but we have to accept it. <laughs> um, and... The sea surge sort of shows that, like, you can't always just sort of sit and rest and 
just live your life like as a day-to-day just sort of you know maybe i'll do this maybe i'll do that as nice as it would like to be that's just not the reality for the majority of people and it sort of is a wake-up call sort of like getting water splashed in your face literally (laughs) of just sort of needing to get up and do something active again yeah Catherine. what connections did you make about Maybe what the sea surge represents overall. Yeah, I mean, the before I have to say, again, kudos to sound design in Star Wars. Because with the bass turned up at home, you could feel the tremor along with Hunter. It was awesome. So, um, but yeah, just the whole, you know, you can't stay on the mountaintop forever. You got to come down from the mountaintop experience, and then there's going to be life. And... That's what happened there. Um, Just the whole feeling of the girls out on the water, the water receding, all that, you know, energy there. And then you get the panicked parent in Hunter going, are you okay? You know, okay, keep going. We're going to get you. But yeah, you could just tell that there's like, there is always something to overcome in life. There will be obstacles. There's going to be suffering and pain and loss, but we always have to pick up and okay, what's next? Where do you want us to go? What do we do now? Yeah, beautiful. Beautifully said by both of you. I really enjoyed the scene. Well, I didn't enjoy it, but I appreciated the scene where Omega and Liana are running and this ginormous wave is behind them. And it's like, you can't help but wonder what dangers are ahead for the Bad Batch in their story when you see this huge wave, because I know that metaphorically, that's what the writers are trying to tell us, that there's something big coming. Yeah. Um, And fun Easter egg. During the surge, when everyone is trying to rescue everyone else, we see uh, Tech use a grappling hook to move Fee out of danger and I saw this review on on YouTube that said, well, that's like Luke moving Leia out of danger with that grappling hook in the original Star Wars film. So I don't know if y'all think that that. Fee and Tech are not siblings. (laughs) (laughs) So it was much more romantic and she could have planted a big old kiss on him, but she missed her chance. (laughs) Maybe she thought he wasn't ready for it. (laughs) Didn't want to scare him away. Fog up his glasses. This was an important moment. He had to (laughs) come to the rescue. (laughs) Oh, well, after the destruction, because it happens, uh, we see the Bad Batch committing themselves to helping rebuild Babu. So what are your thoughts as we leave on that note and put yourself back in the time when you had first seen this episode and you were wondering what comes next? Um, I was, I was still thinking about what are the possibilities for the batch in the future? Are they going to, I was wondering, are they going to become, you know, uh, an integral part of this society? Are they going to establish roots here? Are they going to create something new that the clones have never done on any other you know, planet before. Um, what do you think? What What are your thoughts about seeing the batch decide to do this? 
So I guess I, this might be where I could throw in what I noticed between this episode and the previous one. So in comparing those two, and it really hit hard watching them back to back, I highly recommend it because it was in my second viewing that I did that. So you go from the icy hell of where Crosshair was to a garden paradise. You have them, he's basically starving out there with this lone clone and dealing with the Empire just not wanting them versus the bounty and the community and the welcome that they had on the island. Uh, Crosshair ends up down in a crevice versus the rest of the batch up on a mountaintop and experiencing such a beautiful view. But then the thing that was interesting is Crosshair experiences the avalanche and the batch experiences a tidal wave. They both survive those, but in very different ways, where Crosshair almost seems to, he's gotten to the point of no hope. And so he tries to basically do suicide by treason, where the batch with the tidal wave see the hope of the people around them. And it encourages them on to say, hey, we want to be part of this hope. And so, you know, here you have this whole death versus life between these two episodes. And it really just kind of brought out the reality and the necessity of being part of a community. You know, can you really just walk away and say, I'll do it on my own? And you can't, you know, that community and we are made for each other. We are made for community. And you could really see that contrast between these two episodes. Oh, it's really powerful. Thanks for sharing that. Joshua, what are you thinking as we're closing out here? Uh, it's definitely them still trying to figure out their path. I mean, you know, it, it seems like now they're kind of trying to follow some sort of good Samaritan path and sort of cleaning up their act a little bit of trying to get away from their black market crime scenes and, uh, sort of turn to something a little bit better and have a better cause which hopefully we will see yeah more family friendly <laughs> yeah well a little, uh, less, a little less crime a little more romance <laughs> <laughs> one can only hope <laughs> maybe maybe not we shall see uh, so I would love to hear the thoughts of everyone else listening as well. Um, what did you notice? What are your thoughts about what's your rating? How how good of a father is is Hunter? How uh, what what would your Hallmark movie pitch be for <laughs> Tech and V? <Me? laughs> uh, you can email us starwars at sqpn.com or you can find StarQuest on Facebook at facebook.com slash starquestmedia leave a comment, or simply tweet us at SQPN. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all the good stuff, uh, all the apps, including YouTube as well. And previous episodes of the show can be found on sqpn.com slash Star Wars. Anything else uh, to mention before we wrap up, guys? I'm all set. You've had your fill of the island, Catherine? <laughs> Oh, no, you could leave me on the island or out <laughs> on the water anytime. 
Although I have been caught in like a wave uh, undertow before. So that feeling of oh, man. the boat going backwards, that is the scariest feeling when you're totally out of control with, a, and then a wave crashing over you. <laughs> well, there you go. So uh, we are coming back next week. We will be discussing season two, episode 14 of The Bad Batch entitled Tipping Point, speaking of boats. So I know that'll be thrilling. Until next time, Catherine Laffrey, thank you for joining the fun. Thank you. This was fun. And thanks to you, our perceptive Padawan, Josh Beagley. <laughs> Always happy to join. And once again, I am the one in the middle, the Bendu, Angela Cialana. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy, Raising the Bets. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash bets. That's B-E-T-T-S, bets.